<laughs> Julian is taking pictures that I'm sure they'll show in South Africa. George is going to minister to us, but um, I, I just wanted you guys to see these faces. Church plants don't just happen out of thin air. There's history of giants in faith backing people, celebrating them, giving finance to them, which is what these guys did, sacrificially sending them even though it was costly for friendship. Church plants aren't just one person's or two people's inheritance, but there is inheritance eternally that all of these people and the church in harvest carries into eternity for what they sowed into the table Boston. And so... With South African Rand, if you think giving here is sacrificial with South African Rand. And so I just want to honor each of you, honor the community that you come from. We are so blessed to have you. And I want to ask you, community, let's just reach out our hands. Let's pray for these people, these wonderful members of our family. Let's pray the blessing of God. Let's play, uh, pray the clarity of the Father in each of their seasons that they're walking into. Let's pray courage for adventure ahead. In Jesus' name, we bless Harvest Church in Schlange. We bless these men and women standing here that they would know the hand of the favor of God on them in a remarkable way in this season. That this would be a season of great adventure, open doors. That the breakthrough anointing of the Father would be on each of you, and you would experience His clarity in the road ahead. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. These guys, I'm sure, will minister to us more so in the ministry time, but in this moment, I want to hand over to my pastor, <laughs> one of the best preachers. Seriously, that's not an exaggeration that I've ever heard, George Goulet. Thank you. Yo, so good to be with you all. Yo, yo. I have to say yo. <laughs> I've got uh, tissues in case I sweat too much, in case I cry too much. I've got a pink iPad cover, so there might be some tears. It's my nieces. I couldn't bring my own one along. I've had some questions. I just want to uh, just take a moment just to pray before we kick off as well. Father, I just thank you that we can be here and just see the fruit of your leading. I thank you, Lord, for you speaking to a seven or eight-year-old girl in England, just giving a dream that was within your dream, and that we get to see that there's been journey and these, there's been preparation and process, but Lord, that there's also favor and grace and victory and advance and multiplication, and that there's lives that have been added to and increased in you, and Lord, we just bless what you're doing. We thank you for Julian and Katia. Firstly, we thank you for this community, Lord the outworking of a dream out of your heart that's part of your inheritance. And we just celebrate and give thanks to you. But Lord, we also thank you for this couple. We, we, even as we celebrate the community, we're just so proud of this couple, of, of Katia and Julian, of Zeke and Eva. And we just thank you, Lord, that we speak your blessing on them in this new season, that there will be, even as it's been eight moves and they move into a new place, eight is the number of new beginnings. And I thank you for new beginnings and experiences and adventures in you. So we speak your blessing over every individual, every household, and over this family. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Let me get to where I'm going. Well, I just really felt, uh, even as we were just hearing just some of the the testimonies. Um, I was reminded of Psalm 2 verse 8. 
where the father speaking to Jesus says, ask of me out of Psalms 2 verse 8, ask me and I will give you the nations as your inheritance, the ends of the earth as your possession. And there's something about inheritance that involves nations, ends of the earth, people groups. And uh, even as we see that and speak about that, we know it's unfolding here. And so I'm going to speak about walking in your inheritance. And I want to take a look at, firstly, I want to look at Elisha and Elijah and just see what inheritance looks like with them, even as they pursue the more in God. And then I want to finish off by looking at Jesus. So if you're with me, if you've got your Bibles, you can turn to 2 Kings 2, and we're going to be reading from verse 1 onwards. I am going to jump around a little bit. Um, even as you've heard there in that Psalms, it starts off with a question. Questions are powerful. I was hearing about a couple, and you are all looking very young and fit to me right now. I'm 46. My, my wife is 45. Leanne, uh, Rich, you are, I won't pick on Rich, let's just stick with me. And uh, I heard a story, Julian, you'll like this one, of a couple, and the husband was looking at the mirror, as sometimes husbands tend to do, and uh, he was just in his boxes, and he was looking and saying, sweetie, I'm looking a bit out of shape, I feel a bit flabby, I don't feel well about myself, won't you just, and he asked her, won't you just tell me some things to encourage me? And she looked at him for a moment, and she said, well, honey, you've got brilliant eyesight, Sure. Sometimes you've got to be careful what you ask for. And there's, there's power in an ask. And so let me just read. We're going to read from uh, 2 Kings 2 verse 9. When they had crossed, and they're talking about crossing through the Jordan, Elijah said to Elisha, so we're jumping ahead, we're going to go back in a moment. But Elijah said to Elisha, tell me what can I do for you before I'm taken from you? And Elisha's response was this, let me inherit inherit a double portion of your spirit Elisha replied verse 10 Elijah said you have asked a difficult thing yet if you see me when I'm taken from you it'll be yours otherwise it will be it will not be and uh, he wasn't saying it was difficult for him to do that's not what Elijah was meaning in this moment you're saying you're asking a difficult thing because there's a there's a cost to the pursuit and the priority and what you're keeping in your focus and sacrificing other things for. There's a cost to that. There was a cost for Julian and Katia as they had to dream a dream in England, as they had to dream a dream in South Africa, as they had to dream a dream. And there's been eight shifts and changes, but the dream's unfolding. And uh, the, the reward way exceeds the cost. But we've got to weigh that up. And this is what's happening in this moment. And I always marvel at this idea of double portion. Because here you've got Elisha speaking to Elijah, and he's standing there, and there's this brazen boldness and audacity to Elisha to look at Elijah and say, I want all of your prophetic moments. I want all of the amazing miracles that have taken place. I want that, but I want double of that in my life. It's like going to Billy Graham or Randy Clark or Bill Johnson or one of these, whoever it might be that you've looked to as kind of a hero figure, and saying, hey, that's great, but I, I want double in my life. And uh, let me say, I believe that delighted Elijah's heart. I don't believe he was threatened. But there was something in that, that he wanted to take the measure of Elisha's metal before he gave him his mantle. And there's something that takes place in the process that I want us to see and catch today that shifts Elisha from being a plowman to being a prophet. And there's a process that unfolds as we start to walk 
in and out of our inheritance. And so this is something that we need to be looking at and focusing and saying, what does this mean for us? Even as there is the midst of that question, we might find ourselves in an Elijah. Elisha, I might say Elijah, Elisha, I'm doing it purposefully to make sure you're following with me. Now I will get mixed up. But Elisha asked for a double portion, not of Elijah's influence, not of his wealth, not of his success, not of his followers. He asked for a double portion of the Spirit of God that was resting upon Elijah. There was something that he saw that was so markably, remarkably different to anything else that he encountered. He, he was saying, I want to give my life for this, but I don't want it just a portion. I want a double portion. We'll see why that's significant in just a moment. But let me ask you this question. As I'm saying, there's power in questions. When was the last time you asked for double? The last time I asked for double was I've got a great Starbucks card that I got given to stay in this hotel, and I asked for a double shot of espresso after having a bit of jet lag. Some other people were maybe asking for double shots of something else over this weekend. <laughs> maybe they're not here at church this afternoon. <laughs> but what does it mean to not ask for double of something in the natural, something that's just tempor temporary and momentary? What does it mean to ask for double in the supernatural, a double measure of anointing and favor and grace and of the Spirit's presence and moving and breathing uh, in our lives and friendship and walking with us? What does that look like? What would that look like to you? What does that even mean? And for Elisha, it meant this. It meant that he could have double vision. It meant that he could live and walk in the streets of this beautiful walking city, Boston, and I'm meaning you, not really him. But we can walk in this and we can be able to see in the natural, but also be able to see in the spiritual. So that we get to not live under the circumstances that we're finding ourselves in, but knowing that we are seated in Christ in heavenly places and have a different perspective and walk and leave footprints that reveal the kingdom. And so there was something about Elisha that he knew that he could operate like this once he received that which was promised. And we see it in a moment where he finds himself and a servant. They're in a place where there's a battle going on and they're surrounded by the enemy. And uh, his servant is a little bit uh, bewildered by this and, and terrified and comes to Elisha and saying, what are we going to do? But Elisha wasn't only living with an earthly awareness, but with a spiritual awareness. And he was able to say, Lord, won't you open his eyes to see what I see? that greater are those that are with us than against us. And then suddenly the servant's eyes were open and he saw the fiery chariots and hosts of heaven that were surrounding his enemy. There was something about having this double vision. And I, I believe as Christ followers in this day and age and, and cities we might find ourselves living in, we need to be able to address these moments and these circumstances from this perspective. Because we live in a day and age where everything in our vision is alarming. There's all sorts of crazy things that are taking place all over. My, my, Leanne, actually, just the other day, we were parked somewhere, and there was a crazy scene that was happening as we were at a, um, we call it a petrol station, you would call it a gas station. And Leanne said to me, George, um, being the good, caring American wife that she is, George, just get into the car because this is going to frustrate you because there's a bit of craziness happening. I apologize. I wasn't in my most a street uh, evangelist anointing moment to go and to step into the setting. But we have to be able to pause and ask God, Lord, I, I want to trust that you will give me supernatural provision of a different kind of vision. And it's to have eyes to see what you see and have a readiness to respond with your response. And so we see this unfolding in this process of Elisha journeying with Elijah. And if we go six years earlier, 
and we look in um, 1 King, if we go six years earlier to this moment, we start to see it unfolding. We're going to go to verse 1 in just a moment, but this would have been an earlier happening in 1 Kings 19, where Elijah had come walking along, and Elisha, as I said, was just the plowman. He was just working in a field, and Elijah took a moment where he took his mantle, and he threw it over Elisha, and there was something significant that sprung up that sparked in Elisha's heart where he knew, I'm willing to leave everything, as I've mentioned, for this prioritized pursuit of the presence of God that I see upon this man. And so he leaves everything and he starts to follow. And mantles to us, we're not really sure what that word might be in this day and age, other than a nice jacket. You might see Julian's there. He's got a great looking mantle that he brought this evening. <laughs> but a mantle would have represented legacy, would have represented all that God had done through Elijah. It would have represented inheritance. It would have represented anointing. And so what Elijah was saying, he's saying this, I want to take all that God has done through me and I want to project it over you. I want the anointing that's on my generation to be on your generation. And the, the challenge is we can get so caught up with what's in front of us and trying to make something of ourselves that we miss out on in the inheritance we are being invited into. And so this is what Elisha responds to. But I love that he asks for a double portion. And we can so easily miss what he's asking for there. He's not just saying, I want to do double what you've done. But if we understand Hebrew culture, when you look at inheritance, the, the firstborn would get the double portion. The other siblings would just get a portion. But here's somewhere where Elisha has journeyed with Elijah, gets to the end of the journey. He had been there to serve Elijah, and yet something has shifted in his heart where he's saying, I don't want to just get a wage as a servant would get. I don't want to just get a portion of inheritance as one of the other siblings, but I want to get the firstborn, the double portions portion. And it's a beautiful picture of an Old Testament man grabbing hold of a New Testament reality where he says, I get to be an heir and a co-heir, a joint heir together with Christ. This is what heir means. It means those who receive their allotted possession by right of sonship. And he's saying, I want to be a firstborn, even as he was saying that Jesus is the firstborn son who inherits all, and that we get to enter in and to receive all the blessing and inheritance that's been made available in him. And so there was something in his heart, and we, we won't read uh, Romans 8 verse 15. Well, let me read the first line. You have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. This is the boldness that has come upon Elisha, even in the Old Testament. Instead, you have received God's spirit where he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba Father, for his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. And since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. Isn't that beautiful? Turn to the person next to you and say, you are an heir of God's glory. And there's one thing in knowing that we are Christ followers and that we get to live in this place of knowing that we are anointed. But there are moments where his anointing is so tangible and so manifest. Even in those times of worship that we've already had this morning, when Kati this afternoon, and when Katia prayed, I mean, I, I headed out, I went for the tissues. And I've come back and I'm doing quite well at the moment. But there's these moments where the anointing comes upon you and it's like a supercharger in that moment because you are anointed to do something far beyond your own ability, strength, and capacity. And I, I really believe for you as a house, there's an anointing for you to be all that God has called you to be to see a city come fully alive in the dream God has for it. And I believe there are some of you here that are anointed in counseling. 
Because there are people that need wise, godly, caring counsel because they're hurting. There's some of you here who are anointed in evangelism. And even as I should have been more front-footed in that parking lot, there's courage and boldness, even as we've heard testimonies shared of what God's been doing in that area. There are those here who are anointed in worship. You know it. We've experienced it. Anointed in creating wealth. And I believe that there are those who are going to be kingdom financiers and you are being raised in this house because you'll have a perspective that it's not just to get the new Tesla, which I'm wanting. But it's so that you can invest in kingdom advancement and you can be part of sharing in the inheritance that we call to live in. And there are those here that have been anointed with leadership and creativity. I just see creative color and just cutting edge design just going all over the city, even being in the public places that are on display. That are going to, It's going to come from this community because what God's doing in you is not just about feasting at a table. It's not about a tea party. It's about heaven's priority. And it's going to make an impact. And this is this, this heart to know that we've got access as sons and daughters. And so even as we call out, Lord, I want a double portion it's not because we're needing more in and of ourselves. It's because we want everything that He has made available to us. And we ask for a double portion, not just for good measure, but for kingdom multiplication yes. and advance to take place. And there's something that begins to happen as we look past our own limitations and we start to get into view His limitlessness and invite His limitlessness to be at work in us. And it's a perspective change. And so I want to look at just four areas that, uh, that they walk through, Elisha and Elijah, to come into the fullness of the promise of the inheritance that he had asked for. And um, I remember Katia explaining to me when she was at harvest. And I got to say, Katia, why Boston? Why do you sense that? Why are you dreaming that? And there were certain things. And one of them is that it's a walking city. And I love that. And this is a walk that we see that leads people into inheritance. And I believe as you walk this city, and as you walk people back to this place of the table, people are going to be able to come and feast on God's goodness. There's something in the walking that's going to be something of the outworking of what God wants to do with you. So walk the streets. Love the people. So we're going to look at four locations that have significance. Two Kings 2. And I'm in a location that has significance in Boston. Two Kings 2, 1 to 6, we're going to read. When the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven in a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. Say Gilgal. And Elijah said to Elisha, stay here. The Lord has sent me to Bethel. Say Bethel. But Elisha said, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. And the company of the prophets at Bethel came out to Elisha and asked, do you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? Yes, I know, Elisha replied. So be quiet. I love that. There's something about also realizing that Elijah had been a father to prophetic communities. But not everyone has the persistence, the fortitude, the courage, and the priority to pursue for the long call of obedience to the Father's voice. And so there are other communities that maybe aren't in the same level of faith to, to stay on the journey. And there's going to be those that come. There's going to be peers that come, cultures, culture that comes. There's going to be voices that try and distract you from the destiny God has for you. And you need to have the courage and the ability in the midst of that to say, be quiet. And it's not about how loud you raise your voice. It's about the authority to silence the enemy's words and to still your heart so that you can know that he is God. Be quiet. Then, then, but you, you stay loud with me. I'm not talking to you guys. 
I like the report. Verse, uh, verse 4. Then Elijah said to them, stay here, Elisha. The Lord has sent me to Jericho. Say Jericho. And he replied, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went to Jericho. And the company of the prophets at Jericho went up to Elisha. They got a bit further than the others uh, on this journey. And they asked him, do you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? Yes, I know, he replied. So, be quiet. so be quiet. Thank you, sweetie. You're with me. Verse 6. Then Elisha, Elijah, I'm glad that you're with me. Elijah said to him, stay here. The Lord has sent me to the Jordan. Say Jordan. And he replied, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. And so the two of them walked on. And I, I really believe that even as we look at this, there's something significant that there are places that God takes us that might have significance in the natural, but there's so much more that's happening in the supernatural. And Katia, you dreamt a dream for Boston, and it's not just about a place. It's about divine outworking of destiny that is not only for you, but it's, it's the legacy you're going to leave. Because inheritance is about legacy. And there's legacy. So, this third birthday celebration. What a place to be. I'm so glad that we've been on four and five flights and turbulence and all that took place. It's all worth it. Four places. The first one you know already. We've said it together. Gilgal. Verse 1. Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. It's significant. What is Gilgal? It's a place that has great significance in Scripture as we look through it. It was the place where the Israelites first crossed the Jordan into the promised land, and it's the place that became their base camp. Gilgal was the place in 1 Samuel where Saul was anointed as king. It's also the place where he was later renounced as king. It was the place that he came into his identity, and it's the place that he lost his identity. Gilgal was the place in 2 Samuel 19 where David was, was anointed, uh, was re-anointed as king because his son Absalom had tried to overthrow him and it was uh, an unjust thing that took place and it had caused great strife in Israel and God meets him in Gilgal and says to him, I'm reaffirming you, re-anointing you, I'm re-establishing you in your identity again. And some of us here, we face that where the enemy has attacked us in our identity and try to wage a revolt against us from those that are dearest and most close. And the Lord would say to you again today, even as you're a member of this community and to this community, I'm reaffirming you, I'm reestablishing you, I'm reanointing you with strength and capacity and ability that is a divine outworking of the very presence of God that is a mark and seal upon you. And Gilgal was the place where the children of Israel came across the Jordan, as we've already heard today, and set up the 12 stones of remembrance so that as generations upon generations upon generations come back, they can know we're home. And there's something you are building as living stones that's a declaration for generations and legacy that there's a home. And Gilgal was a place that the Lord said to them in Joshua 5 verse 9, Today I've rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. And it continues to say, so this place has been, called, has been called Gilgal to this day. It was a place of identity. It was saying you are no longer in slaveship, unable to enter, but you're walking in sonship. And what do sons get? They get inheritance in the fullness of the promise. And this is what's happening in this significant place called Gilgal. And so if we can put that, there you go, you've got that sign. Sign. Son, you've got that slide, sorry, slide. Gil <laughs> and a sign. Gilgal was a place of identity in the Father. 
And there's something of what the Lord is doing on this journey with Elijah and Elisha. And I want us to catch, they were coming from Gilgal. It starts with knowing our identity, his identity and our identity from him. A wise lady who used to be part of the ministry team at Harvest named Katia Adams told me, we are called to minister from identity, not for identity. And so I love that they're on their way from this place of Gilgal, which is a place of identity in the Father. But Gilgal also became their base camp. It was where that they, they would go out from to fight battles. And so you would see them going out from Gilgal to Jericho, and they would come back to their base camp. Then they would go out to AR, and they would come back to their base camp. And in the same way, even as our identity is in the Father, our identity also needs to become our base camp because there are battles that we're going to have to fight. And there's a going out and a coming back, but we've always got to be reminded of who we are in Him and who He has called us to be. Because when you go out and you fight a battle, maybe it's going to be a battle against insecurity. I'm talking fast because I'm excited. The only way to overcome insecurity is to go back to Gilgal, your place of identity, and say, no, I'm not going to listen. Be quiet because I'm a son who is beloved of the Father, and I am a daughter who is beloved of the Father, and I am an heir, and I have a right to possess that which he has given me. So be quiet. The only way to overcome fear is to go back to Gilgal and to say, no, I am perfectly loved. I'm accepted in the beloved. And there's a type of love that when we receive it, looks like fearlessness in the way that we live and move. And so something takes, back, uh, takes place when we go to our identity. The only way to overcome rejection is to go back to this place called Gilgal, our identity, and say, even though friends reject us, parental figures reject us, society rejects us, culture might reject us, but we know that we have a Father who loves us and accepts us. And so we can come back and be reinforced, reinvigorated with fortitude to continue onwards. Gilgal. Number two, Bethel. Verse two says, Elijah said to Elisha, Stay here. The Lord has sent me to Bethel. And we know Elisha's having none of it. He's saying, no, I'm walking the walk. And so he journeys with them. And this place, Bethel, is mentioned over 60 times throughout Scripture. We see it referred to. The first time, one of the first times we see it referred to is when Abraham passes through in Genesis. And he comes to this, pro uh, this promised land. And he's in Bethel. And he builds an altar to the Lord. And then he goes off into Egypt, and he comes back to Bethel, and something about this place arrests his heart, and so he builds another altar to the Lord. Then we see of his descendants, Jacob goes through, and he builds an altar at Bethel. It's the time when he's going through, and he lays his head upon a rock, and we know, how, how do you sleep upon a rock? Lays his head, I mean, I couldn't even sleep on my pillows that's padded on the flats. But anyway, he laid his head on a rock and he dreamt of an open window in heaven and a ladder with angels coming, ascending and descending. And he woke up saying, surely the presence of the Lord was in this place. And I didn't even know it. And Bethel is this, this place that speaks about intimacy. It's referred to in Hebrew, it refers to the house of God, the place of home, the place of of belonging. And so when we look at that, we can put it on the screen. Bethel was a place of intimacy with the Father. Gilgal was a place of identity in the Father. Bethel was a place of intimacy with the Father. And there's such a, a need for us to know this, in, uh, this intimacy as I was speaking about as we live in a time of double vision because we are being hit with all sorts of things that are taking place. And we have to have the ability where we can flip the switch and we can say, I am in this world, but I'm not of this world. And I'm living from a different perspective. 
and I'm living from a pace of knowing my identity in the Father, who He is, but also knowing His love and His acceptance of who I am. And so we can say, no, we can flip the switch and we can remind ourselves of Bethel. And Bethel is the place that we can go to, that we can go out from this place of intimacy with the Father and do mighty endeavors for Him. We can do mighty exploits for Him. We can come back and we can know when we maybe lose our sense of, I don't really know what I should be doing or where I should be going or what should be happening. It's the place we can come back to where the Father says, you belong, I'm proud of you, and speaks life and courage back into our hearts so that we can once again head out into all that He has for us. And so as we look at this I love that we see this, this picture of Elisha following, as I've mentioned. Elisha following wholeheartedly and uh, with a pursuit in his heart for Elijah. And he's following Elijah to the house of God, to Bethel. But I, I, I believe we can flip that and we can say that Elijah led Elisha to the house of God. And so there's a following and there's a leading. And I want to say on all of us, there's the Elijah, the leader, and there's the Elisha, the follower. And they're the different moments that both of those take place in our lives. The Navy SEALs are trained that they have to be, have the ability to switch seamlessly be in between the two to solve the problems that they're facing. So can I speak to the Elisha in all of us? Okay, I'm calling out the Elishas. Be careful who you follow. You might tell me I'm not following too many... You, your social media accounts may say something different. Be careful who you follow. Here's why. Proximity matters. If there's one thing we discovered in the midst of COVID, it's that you can catch things from proximity. There can be things that you can catch. Emotions are contagious. Behavior is contagious. Thinking is contagious. Maybe you find you, yourself spending time with certain people and you think when you leave their, their presence, I feel grumpy. I just don't feel happy. I don't want to do that again. If it's your eight-year-old child, I've got an eight-year-old child. You've got to keep doing it. But if it's not, maybe you don't have to keep repeating that. Here's, you're all heading in. No, I'm, I, we love Mitch. It's a special boy. Strike that from the video. Here's the good news. Anointing is contagious too. And that's why Elisha is saying every moment, I'm not leaving. You can tell me. They can tell me. The world can tell me. Culture can tell me. The road can be rough. I'm staying wholeheartedly pursuing and prioritizing following you into all that God has into the house of God. Let me ask you this question. There's power in a question. There's more power in how you answer it. Who in your life is leading you toward the presence of God, the promise of God, the desire of God, the purposes of God, and His destiny for you? Who in your life is leading you into that? Let me ask another one. Who are you in proximity with that when you leave, you feel encouraged, you feel full of life and vitality, and you think, I can take on the world? Who are you spending time, or where are you spending time that you leave with that sense in your hearts? Let me ask you the next one. Who are you spending time with that when you leave you feel drained or doomed? Uh, I've admitted to uh, all my friends in the front row here that my challenge is our news is called News 24. And if I spend time reading what my news articles are prophesying over what tomorrow might look like, I, I, get, I get heavy laden. It might be CNN. It might be Fox. Who are you following? 
to the Elijah in you, the leaders in you. And I believe this house is called not only to be a house that has great leadership, but it's to produce leaders that are going to shape and influence culture, not only the city, but I see the nations. The nations are your inheritance. The end of the world is your possession. I believe that. To the Elijah in you, careful where you lead people. Careful where you lead people. And we heard in COVID, what you spew is contagious. If you get hurt, and then you start to spew that hurt on eight other people, what you are doing is you're spreading hurt, and you're leading people to that place of hurt, where you have been given the privilege and the invitation to lead people to the house of God, to lead people to Bethel, to lead people home to the Father, that they might discover what intimacy with the Father looks like. Number three, Jericho, verse four. Then Elijah said to them, stay here. Elijah said to him, stay here. And Elisha, Elisha, the Lord has sent me to Jericho. And Elisha's response is, no ways, not having any of it. So they go from Gilgal to Bethel to Jericho. And what happens at Jericho? We all know what happens at Jericho. There's the battle of Jericho. Jericho is the place of battles. No, it's not. It was a place of a battle and might have seemed that way. But I want to say for the Israelites, Jericho was a place of surrender. Jericho was the place where they had to think, I've got a good plan of how I can take down this wall and destroy those on side. And God says, no, I want you to just march quietly around a number of times. And maybe then I'll let you play a trumpet and clap your hands and make a bit of sound. And they're thinking, we don't like this plan. It's not our first option. I want to speak to those seals that George mentioned earlier. But Jericho was a place of surrender can put that up on this on the slide thank you Jericho was a place of surrender to the father and there are many things we need to surrender but there are just three I want to touch on the first one is this they surrendered their life they will say I'm going to live for a cause and I'm going to agree to go into this battle and I don't know how it's going to outwork but what I'm doing is believing that you are faithful because you always have been and I believe that you're good and that you've got good intentions and so I'm going to surrender my best made strategy and I'm going to say even if I have to lose my life to gain life I'm doing it because I know that you are the resurrection and the life and so the first thing they surrendered was their life. Here's the challenge. If you really want a double portion, if you really want the more that God has for you, if you really want more of His Spirit and His anointing, you've got to realize this, that you have to get really comfortable with surrendering. If you really want the more, it's great to say, I want a double portion. But if you really want it, if you're going to process it, if you're going to walk it, if you're going to journey it, if you're going to follow on those footsteps of those that are leading the way, you have to get really comfortable with surrendering. The second thing that we need to surrender is your plan. As I've said, they looked at those walls and they thought, no ways, I don't like this plan. I've got a better plan. It is great to plan. The Lord says this, uh, many are the plans of man, but the Lord directs his steps. Make your plans. He has blessed you with faculties and brilliant thinking. Make your plans. Look at his principles. Find his promises and start to plan. But allow the flexibility for him to change your plan that you can surrender your plan because his ways are so much higher than you can think or imagine. The next one, they surrendered their first. The Lord told Joshua to tell the people, when you conquered Jericho, everything's mine. And so then they go out and what happens is that they, 
they take Jericho and they keep some of the plunder. There's a beautiful robe. There's a bit of gold. There's a bit of something, something. And there's one chap thinks, I'll just hide it under my tent. What harm's it going to do? And he keeps it for himself. But this was God saying, I want the first. Every other battle following this, you can have a share. You can take part in the spoils. But, but bring the first to me, not because I need it, but because it sets up a precedent that's going to keep you from destruction and robbery. And they don't do that, and they keep it. And they have to go back to the Lord and say, what went wrong? Because they lose the next battle. And he says, this was out of line. Do this, not because I'm wanting to be hard on you. It's because I'm wanting to bless you, but you are robbing yourself when you think that I'm robbing you. And so bring the first so that I can give you my best. And so they do that, and what happens? They start to win, and they start to experience God victory and breakthrough and triumph that takes place through them. Jericho is the place of surrender. You know, identity sounds great and intimacy sounds great, but surrender is what scares at least me. And the last one is Jordan, verse 6. Then Elijah said to him, stay here. The Lord has sent me to the Jordan. And he replied, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. And so the two of them walked on. Now the Jordan River is a place of miracles. It's a place of change where circumstances are turned around. You go in one way, you come out another. It's where the Lord just shows up, breaks in, and breaks through on a regular basis. In Joshua 3, it's the Israelites coming to cross the Jordan River with the Ark of the Covenant. And as they walk into the water, the water stands up so that they can walk through on dry land. It's the place where Elijah causes an axe an axe head to float on the water. It's the place in 2 Kings 5 where Elijah tells Naaman, go and dip in the Jordan seven times. And he was healed of leprosy. So it's a place of healing. It's a place of deliverance. It's a place of breakthrough. It's a place of miracles. This is what the Jordan represents. And Samuel, they cross over through the Jordan to engage and rout the enemy. It's a place of victory. It's the place of saying, I'm here today, but I know that you're taking me through transition and tomorrow is going to look a whole lot different. It's a place of expectancy and anticipation for what God is going to do. It is also the place where in Mark 1, Jesus was baptized. And Jesus took a similar path that sums up in a New Testament reality what Elisha was journeying with Elijah so that he could inherit all that God had for him in the double portion. And Jesus gets baptized in the Jordan River and the heavens break open as the Father breaks in and breaks through and declares, this is my son, identity, Gilgal, whom I love, intimacy, Bethel, with him I am well pleased. And then it continues to say, and the Holy Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness, surrender. But the breakthrough is happening in Jordan. See, here's the thing. When you've got identity, your identity in the Father, when you are journeying from that place toward knowing greater intimacy with Him, when you are surrendering to Him because you know He is faithful and He is good and you can't work it out and people say you can't do it and you're too young and you're not what the society accepts as the person who should be doing that, but you're in the place of saying, no, I'm surrendering because God, I know that you've got a plan to do something far beyond my own strength, capacity and ability and it's going to be a testament to the divine presence and outworking of your spirit upon my life. There's a boldness that comes and a prioritizing of what he's saying so you can step forward and at that moment in that place in that scenario it's where you always see the father breaking through on your behalf and so this is what happens the jordan river was the place of breakthrough by the father 
And I mean, we can get excited at this point and we can think that Jordan, this is the place to be. But maybe we find ourselves that we've been sitting on the banks and we've been saying, I thought I was going to have my breakthrough. I thought that prophetic word, as I've heard testimonies already about others, was going to be my testimony in this moment. But it hasn't happened yet. I thought the waters in which I feel like I'm drowning would open up so I could be walking through. And we might feel like we're in that place and we're saying, Lord, where are you in this? And we get frustrated with the Father. And I want to pose this question to you. What if there is a process of preparation so that your breakthrough doesn't break you? And he's trying to build strength and resilience and fortitude and capacity so that you can't only carry a portion, but that you can walk in the fullness of the double portion. Some of us are waiting for our ministry to be launched to the next level, to be recognized and affirmed as leaders. Some of us are waiting for our relationships to be healed, or this is a younger community, so maybe just relationships to be initiated. That's a word right there. Some of us are waiting to be delivered from debt. Help us, Jesus. Whatever breakthrough you need, I believe God is saying yes, but he's saying maybe you just need to go back first before you experience the, the breakthrough of the Father at Jordan. Maybe you need to go back to, to Gilgal. Maybe there's some things that need to be fortified in your identity. Maybe you need to go back to Bethel because you need to realize I don't need to achieve and conquer and control and manipulate and strive, but I get to rest and I get to know my Father's approval so I can go from that place with strength not trying to look strong to everyone around me maybe we just need to go back to Jericho and say Lord you know what I've got plans I mean I literally I've got plans I go to God and say I've got great I've got good plans I think they're great plans I've got a strategy and a way of doing it and then he directs me and says no George your your plans are they they plans but I've got great plans for you and to actually surrender and say okay I'm going to lay down that for that what you're saying And then we get to the place that we can say, not like Elisha to Elijah, that I want a double portion. But the message translation puts it like this, that we can stand before Jesus, before our Father in heaven, and Jesus, the one with which we are co-heir, and saying, Jesus, I want your life. This is the message word statement, which I love. I want your life repeated in my life. And then you've got more than the double portion. Because we know that he's already given us a spirit without measure. And every form of measurement and limitation is on our side. But when we come and throw open our heart and say, no, I want your life repeated in mine. I'm willing to journey the journey. That's when he breaks and breaks through those miraculous things. And I believe for you as a house, there's such, such prophetic promise that you are actually living in the reality, reality and already in the present. That you brought the prophetic promise into this moment and you get to live it out with courage as you journey forth into your fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, whatever years are ahead of legacy and inheritance that are not only for you, but they are about you, but they are about so many that need to meet you and to experience the life of Jesus that's being repeated through you. Julian and Katia, can I? Pray and then hand over to one of you and to the team. If you're ready, if there's anyone that wants to share anything. Father, it's gone quiet in the midst of a third year birthday celebration. 
but you've always had the capacity and ability to quieten room when there's the weightiness of your presence. And I know that there's something of an anointing moment, a, a re-anointing moment upon your anointed people where you're reaffirming and re-establishing and re-anointing with fresh strength, capacity, and ability because your hand is upon this community in this moment, in this city, nation, for the nations. And Lord, I, wanna, I come from a foreign nation. I come across oceans from a little town. And I just want to stand here before you. And I want to say, I recognize what you're doing. I see how you're moving. Thank you for bringing me here to witness it. And I speak my blessing, my thanksgiving, my celebration what you're doing in this house in Jesus mighty name Amen This is the Sunday morning podcast from The Table Boston where you'll find the latest teachings from our Sunday meetings Find more from us at thetableboston.com